Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 126 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we focused on some of our favorite presentation tips. We actually ran out of time before we covered everything, so I was able to talk time into putting together a three-part series. This will be the second on presentation tips. In this episode, we'll focus on what has become the most common presentation format for many presenters. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we'll be talking about uh, presentation tips when you're presenting on a panel. Uh, In our second segment, we'll talk about using timer apps and the presenter mode in PowerPoint during your presentation. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our main topic, and that's panel presentations, the second part of our three-part series on presentation tips. This is actually a really time topic for me because I just finished doing a panel presentation earlier today, the day that we're recording this podcast. But I have to say that panels for me are really more the exception. And you and I may have a fundamental difference about what we consider to be a panel. So I guess if we're talking that two people constitutes a panel, then maybe I've been on more panels than I than I like to think. But for me, a panel is, is three or four individuals. But I have to say that I still speak more alone than I do with other people. Dennis, would you say that most of your presentations today are done in a panel or multi-speaker format? Tom, I was kind of like you because I was thinking of the last few presentations I've done. It's actually just been just been me. But if I go back over a longer stretch and and look at uh, webinars as well, that most of the time I'm, I'm speaking with at least one other other person. I mean, typically that's Allison Shields talking about LinkedIn. So for our purposes, I'm going to say a panel is both the sort of classic panel where there's a moderator and interaction, and you know, like you said, maybe there's three, but at least two people, uh, and it's really plain interaction, and then also what I would call the multi-speaker format, which I think is probably really common where basically you have a co-presenter that you both share the time slot, and typically that's going to be two, or it could be three. And so, like we were just at Tech Show, and and typically every single one of those is going to be a a two-person presentation. So, I I don't know, Tom, I I think we can agree that uh, similar approaches apply to whether it's actually technically a panel or it's a multi-speaker format. Well, I think it's going to depend a lot on um, if you have a panel, if you've got three or more speakers, the problem that you have there is that unless there's a moderator who's willing to take charge and do things, then you've got four people that are in search of a leader. And um, I think it's really hard to coordinate when you've got three or four people that that don't have uh, that that don't have anybody who's willing to actually uh, coordinate and develop an outline and maybe even develop the presentation and put it all together and 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 those are to me some of the hardest uh, groups to to be a part of. I, I I find that that obviously the ideal situation is having 
two two speakers who know each other and who um, are comfortable working with each other, who can sit down and try to map out a good uh, a good uh, collaborative outline of a presentation. Uh, but I know that we don't always get that opportunity. I know that uh, that you've had to speak with uh, people that you don't know um, frequently. I. I it's been a while since I've actually been paired with someone, especially if we talk about ABA Tech Show, paired with someone that I didn't know very well. Um, so it's, but I can I can say that those are not always the most pleasant experiences because um, you you just don't really have that working relationship with them. What what are some of the challenges that you find if it's if we're just talking one on one with somebody else? What are the challenges you find there? Well, you're right. When it's somebody that you don't know, occasionally with somebody you do know, is sometimes you get the unexpected. And I've had a couple of co-presentations where I had serious concerns whether the person would actually get to show up, and and I prepared extra just in case. And part of that is, you know, during the the working together and preparation process, they're just absent, and and so you just don't know what to expect, or they sort of turn things over to you and and say, let's just use your materials or your slides, and so so I think that's one piece of it. You know, sometimes you also see what somebody has prepared, and you you realize there's just no way it will fit. You know, it will won't even fit into the time slot on its own, let alone if you're splitting up the time. And a lot of it's just, you know, the unknown. Because when you're presenting with somebody that you're used to presenting with, you you know their style. You can kind of set up their best stuff. You can do transitions really well. So working with somebody new is tricky. And, and we'll we'll get into the, you know, the issue of, of how on panels it's really rare that you get the chance to rehearse at any level at all. So that can make it tricky. And then you've sort of alluded to this as well. I mean, there are all the different types of multi-speaker presentations present their own issues. You know, whether there is a moderator, whether you know that moderator, whether a strong moderator or a weak moderator, the unmoderated things where you're not really sure who's going when, whether you just decide to share slides and have each person comment on each, whether you go in sequence one after the other, whether one person is interactive. I I know that I have some friends, uh, some of our friends, who say it can be really tricky when one person has, say, the wireless mic and are walking around the room and, and you're up sitting at a table basically running the slides while the other person becomes the star of the show. And then I also think once you get past two people, that poses its own set of issues. And and so I think that what I've always found is that as, I mean, it's great once you get more experience, but when you're going to speak on a panel, it's really good to have a sense of what that panel is going to look like and what other people are, are expecting. I don't know, Tom, maybe uh, we might talk about the the sort of big panel we did at ABA Tech Show where there are five of us on the panel as an example and maybe use that as as sort of exhibit one in how we think about uh, panel presentations. Well, I mean, I think if we work backwards from it, I think that the panel actually wound up Turning out pretty well, at least in terms of how the audience perceived it and how uh, how popular it was. I think that the panel itself turned out well, but I think that at various points during the whole process, it suffered from a lot of the problems that we've talked about. You had uh, five people who all knew what they were talking about, were very good on their topics, and and very intelligent and be able to do it. But it's kind of hard to herd those cats um, unless there's somebody who's willing to really decide. I, I think that our first challenge came up with what was 
was the format going to be for how we how we gave the presentation? And I, I'm not sure that at the end, even though I, I liked the way that it turned out, I'm not sure that everybody agreed with the way that it turned out. I think that we still never reached a good, true consensus that that was the best way to present the information that we presented. Do you, did you get that feeling too, or is that just me? Well, yeah, to an extent, I, th- I think that we grew to like the format as it went on, and, and it was it was also good because in that one I knew I was speaking with a bunch of pros, and every it was going to be good no matter how it turned out. But I I think you're right that different people had different ideas about what might be a better format. I know we definitely all had different ideas about the way the slides were being done and and some other aspects of it. But sort of once you get on stage, you know, it's just great to be with a panel of pros. And so that's what I remember that I thought it really went well, you know, when we were up there and I knew it would as we were going forward. But, uh, you know, it was was comical at some times if you think about if you're going to use how we did that as a model of how to prepare for a panel presentation, it's probably not the first, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's probably not the model I would, <laughs> I would select. You talked a minute ago about rehearsing and, uh, and to, use, to use two examples, use the, the tech show panel and then just the speech that I gave today, the presentation that I gave today. Totally different in terms of rehearsal. I, I know that we went through uh, our group for tech show, we went through it very briefly, but I don't feel like we suffered for not having rehearsed. I know that some people feel like rehearsal is a good thing. I tend to not want to overthink it. I want to know how things are going to go and have an idea of how it will flow so that I'm prepared for it. But but I'm I'm, I'm not a huge rehearser. This morning, um, we went through our slide deck twice where we walked through it and everybody talked about, in general, the types of things they wanted to cover in those particular areas. And um, I think that for our group, it, we were all strangers to each other for the most part. We really didn't know each other very well. So I think in that respect, a rehearsal was successful. And I think that it was good, although I was bored out of my mind just because I should be fair to say, maybe not bored out of my mind, but I felt like it was counterproductive in that I already knew kind of what I wanted to say. And I am, I think, reasonably comfortable in following other people. I know that those presentation skills do not come easily to everyone. And uh, I get a lot of people who don't speak a lot who say, I don't know how, I, I don't think I can get up and do that. So I think that in a lot of circumstances, people who aren't giving presentations, I think, can benefit from a lot of rehearsal. I happen to be a person who thinks that rehearsal doesn't help me a lot. But I will say that I have also been the victim of not having rehearsal and have had problems with that. So I'm probably shooting myself in the foot by coming out with that opinion. But I can see where in some cases it makes a lot of sense. It's something that you want to do like it was this morning. In other cases, you can get away without doing it. Yeah, I mean, my main point was with rehearsals is it's so rare. And you think about it, if people, especially if people are traveling to a conference, it's just really rare that there's any time to rehearse. And I, I think when you do rehearse, my, my concern is that Actually, it makes you more nervous in some ways because I think you're not in front of a group of of people. You're trying to think. You sort of overthink what you're doing. It's sort of fake. I mean, it's like rehearsal. And so that I I think that it can cause some doubts to creep in about like how your presentation is working because it's going to be rushed. It's probably not going to be in their ideal situation if you get the chance. I always assume that. 
you're not going to rehearse. And, and and then also, I so I focus more on just making sure that there's a good sense of how the topic is going to be divided. So who's doing what? Usually try to make sure that people are speaking to their best areas. And then also, um, this what I always refer to as the sequencing. So I need to know who's taking what slide and how that's going to work and whether, who does the transitions. Because sometimes that can throw you if you don't really determine who's going to be the first one to speak on a topic, that can throw you a little bit. So a lot of times, sort of my script for something I'm doing is actually going to be the sort of three-slide uh, outline or handout uh, that you do in PowerPoint with the initials of the person who's going to take each slide. And that uh, you know, sort of gives me the guidelines for, for what I'm doing. Well, and not to beat the rehearsal horse to death here, but uh, I, I think that um, as you're as you're describing it, I agree with you that sometimes rehearsals make some people more nervous. In our case, especially this presentation that I just gave, we had three busy people who probably didn't have as much time. I know I certainly didn't have as much time to spend on on the deck, um, but we really hadn't worked on it together. The moderator did a really good job of putting all of our various thoughts together and putting it into a, an outline line that made a lot of sense, but we hadn't really had a chance to give a lot of input into it as a group. We had only done things separately, and I think that that rehearsal really helped as far as that's concerned. But I think that really comes down to, and what you're talking about there is, is you know, talking about the order and who speaks first and all of that. Really, your moderator is the key. If the moderator can't lead the group, if they can't take that and make sure that topics are flowing from one topic to the next and to know when to, to move off a topic that people have been talking too long or to, to move off a topic where people maybe either don't know what they're talking about or just going down a rabbit hole that they shouldn't be going on. Um, you really need to have somebody that's got that level of, of expertise who can easily flow between topics. I think if you don't have that moderator, then you tend to wander a lot. You tend to have people domineer and take control over the conversation. You wind up having a lot more issues with your time. Yeah, and, and it is, uh, I, I was talking with people who were doing a panel at the recent ABA meeting we were at, and I knew that they were kind of struggling with how they were going to arrange it and all of that, and they talked about it really briefly, and I heard one of them say, okay, so we're okay, right? And people said, yeah, and I was like, wow. <laughs> and it turned out it was it was great, but I know that everybody kind of struggled with that. And when you're talking, it reminded me time, the other thing that can happen to you when you're on a panel especially when you're you haven't done a lot of them is that other people just take the approach like hey you're great you'll be fine and so they'll say yeah we're good to go and you'll be saying oh my god I, I, I don't know that and a lot of times people totally believe that you know I, I will be with somebody and go I know you're you know I've seen you speak before this will be fine you're great let's go and then I realize later I've kind of made them nervous because they they would like to have you know, sort of more guidelines, you know, more cues, that sort of thing, and in a bit more structure than than I'm probably comfortable with at this point. So, so that can be a thing. I will say the big thing, Tom, for me, uh, anytime when I'm on a panel, anytime when it's more than just you or just me. It's hard enough to fit your presentation in the time when it's just you alone. But anytime you have more than one person, I would say. To me, this is the big thing about panels is that time is always going to be an issue. I think you're right, but I again, I come back to it's always going to be an issue 
unless you've got a good moderator, or maybe I should say that time's going to be an issue, so having a good moderator is important. Coming back to today's example, uh, we started late. The, the speaker before us took almost 10 minutes into our time that we needed, and we knew that we were going to need a little bit more time in going into the next thing, so we didn't want to cut it off when we were supposed to. Um, but I think he did a really good job going over our time, but not going so far over that we really got to, you know, started to annoy people to do that. But, you know, I found and and looking at, at kind of our bullet points of talking points that we, we want to think about for this podcast, I think that time becomes an issue just with the idea of the introductions. We had already planned on doing a brief introduction um, of ourselves, but it turned out that the person in charge of the, uh, of the seminar got up first, and without us even knowing anything, she introduced all four of us, but with not much of, of what we wanted to say about ourselves. So we had to reintroduce ourselves and talk about ourselves again. And so 10 minutes into this presentation, we're still not introduced. I think that's a huge issue in terms of taking up time. But but I also find that you've got that wild card of, of having individuals on your panel who um, are either not going to have enough to say uh, because they just don't they just don't know the subject very well uh, or they're very concise or the people who um, have a lot to say who either through the fact that they want to show off how much knowledge that they have or they just don't really know when to stop. Uh, they're taking too long. And I think, in far, as far as I'm concerned, when I have individuals like that, that's sort of a go-with-the-flow approach that I take is if they want to talk long, I uh, you know, I just say, let's get through this and be done with it. If they, if they don't talk much, then you find a way to fill the blank. Right, and I, that's a, a comfort thing. I always try to to have in mind, you know, sort of the main points that I would like to make, and then not be so concerned with needing to say everything that I need to say. And so, then if you run into time issues, or you know, somebody's especially either especially good, or they go long, or whatever, you you don't say, wait, I need to have exactly the same amount of time, or the same number of slides. Just go consider the audience give the audience what they came for and your, and your best material, even if you do it in a shortened version. The introduction things, I, I think is, I think you're right, Tom. I think the introduction thing can really throw a whole panel. And so I've started to do something where I have the actual speaker introduction I want, which is sort of like a two-sentence one, very short, highlights what I want. And I print it out, so I take a look to see at who the person who is introducing us or who the moderator is, and and if they have grabbed some like three paragraph bio of mine that they're planning to read, I just hand them the short intro so I don't say, oh my God, this is going to run. You know, we're already running 10 minutes late, and what they're going to read is going to be at least three minutes, and they're going to do it for other people. You try to avoid that. I think the other thing that, that you want to work out, I mean, there's a number of things that we can talk about that you want to work out with the group. For me, a big one is how you handle questions, whether you take them during the session or you try to leave time at the end. There's a number of technology issues that we can probably touch on, Tom. I, to me, the big one is uh, whose laptop are you going to use? And then always have backups in case there's a problem with the projector. And then a big one I, for me, too, is who's running the slides and then how you signal to them without treating somebody like they're you know, just your functionary who's who's doing slides and treat them as as a speaker. So I don't know, are there a number of things, are there other things that you run into, either technical or, or other things, Tom? 
I think you've covered sort of the main topics. I thought it was interesting that one of my co-speakers on the panel today actually was surprised that we had a PowerPoint. Um, it was his opinion that uh, that when you have a panel discussion that a PowerPoint is not necessary, that the PowerPoint, the presentation is really a crutch for the solo speaker and that when you have more than one person, then they are supposed to lead that discussion. And I think there's an interesting point to that um, for all the reasons that you mentioned because using technology when you've got a multi-panel group can, can have its own set of issues. I think that obviously what you want to do when you've got a group that size is you want to go simple, you want to have one deck, you want to use one computer. Again, I come back to saying that having a moderator is still the best idea. Having a moderator who posts the the slide deck on their computer, uh, who controls it, who then moves from slide to slide, and as they are controlling the conversation, then you tend to avoid the the issues that you're talking about about the the making people feel like they're your lackey by asking them to move the slide. But uh, I feel pretty comfortable saying people to move to the next slide without doing it like that. But I'd, I'd really rather have a situation where um, where you sort of feel the rhythm of, of where the conversation is going and kind of know when it's time to, to change slides if you're not the moderator. I know that with speakers I've spoken with before, I've been able to kind of get into that rhythm and follow them and, and understand when they want to change slides. But uh, I think that those are the main issues that I have as far as, as, far as technology is concerned. Do you want to um, maybe give a couple extra tips uh, for talking about panels as we head out of the session? Yeah, I, a couple of things. So I think that when you actually do have the panel that you're talking about, I think on the, the slides, then I think the, the notion of having either a slide that just frames the topic, so it could either be a one-word slide that that says what you're going to be talking about in that segment, or something that's uh, I think really effective is just to have put a question on the slide, and that will be what the uh, the speakers talk about. That's an effective way to do it. You know, typically I also like when you do have two people presenting. I sort of like some form of alternating the slides rather than to do the you know one person do the whole presentation than, than the other one. I think that gives the feeling of, of some kind of interaction. The microphone things can be really tricky. You need to think those through because uh, sometimes there aren't enough microphones for the number of people there and you need to figure out whether you're going to pass or you're going to turn them or who's going to get the wireless ones and or who's going to be at the podium. Sitting versus standing is a common thing. It's all, To me, that's sort of majority rules. Actually, it's probably <laughs> if everybody's sitting except for you, you're probably going to end up sitting. But you need to think about that because sitting does take away the energy of, of the presentation. But other times, if you're trying to manage, you know, like a panel of four or five people, all who are standing and walking around, it, it, that's going to be pretty busy on this on the stage. And so those are the main things. I guess there, there's always going to be an issue with your co-presenters of not until you know them well, of not knowing exactly what they're going to do. And I think you're right, Tom. You just got to develop a sense of going with the flow. And is and as I said, I just try to figure out the main things I want to make sure I get across to the audience, keep the audience as my biggest concern. And, you know, I may decide later that I'm not going to be in a hurry to present with somebody else because they took too much time or whatever, but I'm not going to let that have an impact on what the audience gets from me that day. Yeah, I think that you have to generally uh, you have to generally say I, I'm going to to give the best information I can in whatever time I have to give it, and just make that 
that be the best that you can do. I, I will say that, you know, I, I agree that putting single questions or basic concepts on a slide are really effective. I think the challenge there comes in those areas where the jurisdiction that you are, uh, where you're presenting, where their CLE requirements require uh, something more substantive uh, to constitute uh, appropriate materials. Hopefully you've also done written materials, but uh, as was the case today, we didn't have time to do written materials, so our PowerPoint has to serve as the educational materials for which they get CLE credit. So there's a little bit of a trade-off there. I think that that really depends on, on what situation you're in. And I guess my best advice is if you've got a group or even a co-speaker that you don't know very well, don't take it for granted. Prepare with them. Have a call with them. Put together an outline and decide who's going to handle what. I agree with you, Dennis, that it really should be more interactive. I really hate the, I'll speak for 10 minutes and you speak for 10 minutes, or I'll speak for 30 minutes and you speak for 30 minutes. I really think that makes for a very boring discussion. I like to see things jump back and forth. Even if you're not talking with each other, you're at least having two different people talk. I think that makes for a more effective presentation than just having people kind of go in their own little guided uh, soliloquy that they happen to be giving on their own. The one thing I've been thinking about lately is that you know, everybody's different. I actually really enjoyed speaking with all sorts of different people over the years. Um, and some of the people I've enjoyed the most have actually people who some other people struggle with sometimes. But the one thing I noticed that people don't do as much, and this is just, I wanted to highlight this here, is that you you get this great chance to present with people who are really experts on the topic. And a lot of times people don't follow up on that. And so um, just a simple thank you, you know, keeping in touch with people, connected to them on LinkedIn, all, all those sorts of things, I, I think are really useful because a lot of times those co-presenters may uh, be in a position where they can recommend you for other speaking things or suggest that you do another another panel together. Um, and, you know, so I, so I I think that's probably one thing I, I think that people shouldn't overlook. I, the panel, the panel form is is really a fun form of presentation, but there, you know, you just got to remember there are a lot more moving parts, and if it's just you talking. Yep, completely agree. We are running short on this segment, so let's move on to the next segment. But before we do that, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. If you were to ask me what was the biggest change I've made while presenting in the last year or so, it would be the use of the presenter mode in PowerPoint and the use of timer apps that show in really big numbers how much time is left on my, my iPad while I speak. Uh, to me, these are examples of how you can use really simple features in apps uh, to have a big impact on your presentation skills and your actual presentations. Tom, are you using any of these tools? 
Yes, but probably not to the extent that I could or should be using them. I I think that the presenter mode in PowerPoint has gradually become a really cool tool within the PowerPoint itself. I, I think the display is nice. I think it's very easy to use. Um, however, I also noticed that on every computer that I've used presenter mode, um, it really slows down the computer or the, or the presentation mode to go from slide to slide. It seems really slow. Maybe that's just me, but, but I have not used it very often unless there are a couple of presentations if I give with my laptop, I will, I will use presenter mode for that. But like I mentioned in the last episode, so I, I tend to present more with my iPad these days. I primarily use SlideShark to give my presentations, and it also has a presentation mode that's very similar. I can see my notes if I need them. Um, it has two timers, actually. There's a timer um, for the particular slide I'm talking about and then an overall timer for the whole presentation. They're not terribly big timers, though, and my problem is, is that even though I think they're really cool and I'd want to use them to keep track of uh, of how I was doing for the presentation, I hardly ever use it. I just, I hardly ever look down at it and I, I think that's probably something that um, I need to train myself to do. So if you're used to looking down, if you train yourself, I think this is a really good way to monitor yourself over the course of a presentation. I'm just probably not as good at it. I, I wind up panicking near the end and going to look at a clock and see if I'm right. And so I think that's kind of a, a, a signal for me that I probably should make better use of those timer tools. Dennis, uh, tell us more about the kind of things that you're using. Okay, so I use the timer apps, basic timer apps. There's a whole bunch of free ones, and I just experiment with them. But the ones that give you the big numbers, I think are great when you're working on a panel, because you can just, uh, if you're sitting next to somebody, you can just nudge them and show them how much time is left, and then they can adjust the speed of what they're presenting and and edit as as need be. I find that really helpful, and, and then I also prepare what I'm doing so that I know where I need to be with, say, like two minutes left or whatever, and so I can close and get sort of my conclusion down and, and finish on time. So I think that's great. The presenter mode, and for those who aren't familiar with it, I mean, there's also a presenter mode in, in Keynote for for the, the Mac users out there as well. But the, the idea is it gives you on one screen all these, it gives you your slide. So there's uh, sort of maybe takes up like half the screen. There's also a preview of the next slide so you know what's coming next. And it shows you the elapsed time. And then also it shows uh, the clock time. And if you're in the notes, you're using the notes version. So if you put notes on the slide, you can see the notes below your slide. And all that's going up on the screen is the normal PowerPoint slide in its regular mode. So nobody sees what's going on on your screen, but you have all these really useful tools right in front of you. And I, I've really liked it. And, and a, you know, so the preview slide is great. So you don't accidentally tell, uh, you know, make the same point you're about to make on the next slide. I find that really helpful. The timer, having it right there is great. Using the notes of thing is really good, although it can be a little small on my MacBook Air, and as uh, you know, as my eyes age, that becomes an issue. And then sometimes in the in that approach, if you have a a really busy slide, say like a screen capture, or sometimes I'll do like a, a LinkedIn screenshot, and it can be kind of hard to see what point you're making on that slide. But then that's just a matter of taking a look at what's on the the big screen. So it's a really nice as a presenter. It gives you a lot of simple tools tools that really help you along in giving the presentation and being smooth about it and ending on time. 
Now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, when I saw Dennis's parting shot in, uh, in the notes before we were getting ready, I decided that I would just make this all about food. Our parting shots were all about food. Um, Leo Laporte on his Twit podcast got me onto NatureBox. NatureBox.com will send you on a regular basis bags of relatively healthy snacks. Uh, you can tell them whether you want gluten-free or soy-free or so- soy-only or n- you have a nut allergy or you're vegan or vegetarian or whatever. You can you can ask for, for treats to be in certain areas. You can specify certain treats. I've in my second box now, I, I just got 10 bags of treats that tend to go from granola to dried fruits to uh, little snack bars, really good, tasty snacks that tend to be a little bit healthier for you than just uh, going and buy a bag of cookies or potato chips or candy or things like that. Comes to you once a month, uh, starts at $19.95 a month, all the way up to, I think, 40 bucks a month if you want to get a ton of snacks, um, but naturebox.com, I'm really enjoying it so far. So I've become a bit of a tea fanatic over the last few years, so I sort of understand that whole Boston tea party thing and how I would react if you tried to tax and put a higher price on my tea, but what I've found over this time is uh, there's a company called Harney & Sons Tea, uh, H-A-R-N-E-Y. They just really make these terrific teas um, and they give you a lot of history and uh, geography and uh, ratings of these different teas. It's a great way to try uh, really fancy teas um, and they're really good, easy to work with. A lot of times they have sales with free shipping. I recommend starting with the samplers to give you an idea and uh, um, so if you're a tea person or if you just want to try Teas and that, uh, and see you know what there is out there other than the Liptons and other things like that. This is uh, really the way to go. And if you're a real tea person, I think you'll really like this. Yeah, I've been trying to to like tea forever, but I've just never found the right tea to drink. Maybe I maybe I will give this a try. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to your, our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. You can get to archives of all our previous podcasts in both places as well. If you have a question you want answered or a topic for an upcoming episode, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by rating this podcast or writing a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.